Welcome to Context, the podcast from Arizona State University's Construction Technologies class, giving you an inside look into the backgrounds and theories of the subjects covered in this course. Greetings, Con 453 students. Welcome, as always, to Context. Today, we have got sort of a fun podcast and that you won't just be listening to Chase and I. Um, Chase, don't misread my, my tone. I love hearing your voice. I'm sure the students do as well, and they like hearing my jazz voice or whatever you call it when I'm on the podcast. But today, they are going to hear from someone uh, far more important than us, who is our guest speaker. Eric Sowick is going to be in this week. He is at Sunt Construction. He does some really cool, really innovative work. Um, while we have been so fortunate to have him in every semester, uh, we don't always get him in on, on the podcast. So what we want to do today is make sure that you get to hear him on the podcast more than you hear us. So this one's from uh, a couple semesters ago, but we want to just set it up so you kind of know what to expect. So what's, what's uh, maybe a little different about this one, Chase, for the students? Well, um, good question. And, you know, I think one of the values that Eric brings in addition to the um, innovation and some of the things he talks about with the students is, you know, really this one is is 100% um, his experience and some of the different things that he's seen. And um, he's really kind of helping us to see all the different ways um, in which technology can be applied in construction, but he does it in a succinct manner and runs through several different examples. And, uh, um, I guess a little bit of a teaser. And, and Steve, I don't think I told you about this earlier this summer. Um, Eric, for the students, talks about a certain bridge in a state um, here in the United States. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that for the students. That's got a phenomenal story um, that he was a part of. And uh, this summer, I actually found myself in that state for a business trip and happened to drive across that, that bridge. And uh, I was so excited when we were driving across it because I was thinking about Eric and I was thinking about his stories. And it was awesome just to be able to kind of put eyes on and, and reflect on some of the things he shares. So I'm really excited to have Eric back. Um, he's a great friend and obviously a great uh, contributor to the industry and to our class. So can't wait to, to have him with the students. So, um, And so, you know, as a listener, you, you may hear a couple references to I'll see you all on Zoom and that kind of thing. Right. And, and certainly if some of you are sick, that's an option. But this year, we're fortunate to have them in person. So we're really excited to be able to go back to sort of an in-person mode here. So just kind of skip past the part if you're if you're hearing about Zoom. The underlying content he covers, though, is great and applies now as much as it did last year. Um, so we want to make sure you get a chance to hear him. Yeah. And just to finalize that thought on kind of why we're couching that for the students, you guys, um, we, we definitely always value and appreciate Eric's time when he comes into the class. Um, unfortunately, with, with the schedule that he's under to be able to maintain his commitments, we're not necessarily always able to get him for the podcast as well. So we were fortunate to have him um, a couple semesters ago participate in the podcast with us. That is not the case this week. So it is a rebroadcast um, of previous content that he shared with us, but nonetheless, highly valuable. Um, hope you give it some time. And as always, we hope he gives you some context. Well, students, welcome to Context. We're starting to get in the rhythm of, uh, of giving you these Context podcasts before class. Today is going to be a slightly new version from what we've done in the past, because it's not actually going to be me presenting most of our content. It's going to be the first of our guest presenters. Um, so Eric Sowick is with us today, and he's from Sunt. So Eric, maybe before we get started, maybe introduce yourself to the students and kind of tell them a little bit about yourself and, I don't know, maybe what excites you about the industry. 
Yeah, so my name is Eric Solick. I am with Sunt Construction. I lead our frontline construction technologies group, and uh, we are chartered with helping technology be a strategic advantage for a construction company, which seems seems a bit out of place for our product and our marketplace. Uh, but we see a lot of value in taking the skills that our admin folks have, that our craft folks have, and canonizing them through technology to create reliable and consistent and predictable products for our clients. Um, which is a, a big order, but uh, definitely something that's worthwhile in our industry and hopefully something that starts to make a dent in the marketplace and, and really make construction more accessible for everybody. I have yet to run into a city or come across an organization that if they could build for less, um, wouldn't do it more often, right? Um, so there's a lot of need for the built environment, and I, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is bringing it to life. So I'm super excited to to be able to be chartering that for Sunt and uh, kind of came up through the ranks, started out actually, uh, when I was at ASU, I started at Sunt uh, doing 3D visualizations for pre-construction as well as for business development interviews and kind of worked my way over to the operations side of the business and now have this really fun background of technology, construction, and specifically construction technology. So. Yeah, part of what I like about what you're talking about there is, is I think it addresses such a, a fundamental uh, challenge. I don't want to say problem, the challenge we have as an industry. I always like to tell our students, we're kind of a weird industry when you think about us compared to a lot of others, right? And what I mean by that is um, the product we make has never been made before. The team of people with whom we work has probably never worked together before. And we expect the first time we build for it to work properly the first time. Um, now, there, there's nuance to that, of course. There's a lot of process that is repetitive. So I, I get that it's not quite that simple, but compared to pretty much any other industry, what we do is kind of strange. So when you talk about using technologies to increase predictability um, and things like that, I find myself saying um, that resonates a lot in terms of enabling our industry to advance and address some of the critiques we've gotten in the past, low productivity, um, you know, high demand for workers combined with not enough new workers entering the industry. You know, a lot of these mm -hmm. factors that are leading the challenges. So um, I guess let's set up kind of what you're gonna talk about in your presentation um, this upcoming uh, session. One of the things that I like about it, um, possibly because I think you've been involved with this course longer than I have, uh, so you've, been, you've honed this over a lot of time. Um, but part of what I really like about it is I think it provides a good overview of how BIM can provide value in a, in a variety of contexts. So I guess I'd be interested to hear from you, Eric, if you kind of put your, yourself in the position of a student, what do you think a student should be getting from the content you present? Almost prime them for what are the, the critical takeaways from what you're going to be talking about next week? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great question. And, and I think one of the more difficult aspects of building information modeling, BIM or VDC, virtual design and construction, is it really challenges a lot of the industry norms. Meaning that it, it, it doesn't play well with contracts that we use on a day-to-day -day basis, right? All of a sudden you're asking two people that have historically, hey, when you're done with that, I'm going to pick up and then try my best to accomplish what I've done. The expectation from clients is now that everybody acts as if we're one organization, but we have 30 contracts between all these different parties on the project. And so everybody's acting in their own best interest, which, which is historically what we've done and what we've asked of people, right? And the heart of these things are 
BIM is an enabling technology that allows us to work together before we show up and build something for the very first time, we have a chance to work it out digitally. So now the expectation is that somebody goes in and explores the construction intent, right? The design intent and the construction means and methods associated with that digitally, and then to be able to bring that to life in the field, right? And so now there's all of these different implications on traditional contracts and relationships between GCs and subs and clients and design teams that are have changed almost holistically overnight. And the contracts are still reading the exact same verbiage, right? There's some contracts that we've done at Sunt that enable BIM and focus on those kinds of solutions. But we've also seen other ones that are literally exactly the same, but we also expect our subcontractors to do coordination in a digital format. And they're like, well, I don't get paid for that, right? And it's like, yeah, but if you don't do this, you can't go do the work, right? So the, the big deal here is that while we're talking about maybe specific applications of technologies or portions of this idea of BIM or an information backbone, really what's happening here is we're changing the underlying process at a system level of how we build something. And a lot of the innovations that we've tried to push through at Suns um, have run into difficulties because we can do something now and automate it and it's a better product and more reliable and predictable. But at the end of the day, it maybe asks our concrete subcontractor to pay a little bit more for a product. And they're like, I don't know why I would pay more for a product when this is all based on the lowest bidder being selected. Right. And so this is something that um, will will change that behavior over time, but it takes a long time to get to the point where people are thinking like that. Um, so we have in front of us of saying, how do we apply this technology fully? And, and one of the things I'll reference in the, 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 the actual course session is this idea that when electricity came through other industries, so in this case, the manufacturing industry, it took about 30 years for design teams and, and production line designers to really understand how that new technology changed the way you could produce something, which is a crazy statement to say that, hey, you can now have electric machines. How do you want to reorganize your machines around people? That question wasn't really asked until about 25 years after they received that techni technological upgrade. And so I think construction is kind of in the process of that right now. And so we'll be talking about specific cases, but at the same time, it's more about the bigger picture of how do all of these parties and processes and expectations change. Yeah. It, it almost seems like sometimes our perception can be skewed because we'll have someone that does a very traditional project and they may have a view on technology like this will never take off. And what they're saying is in the last instance I saw that took place six months ago, this wouldn't have taken off. But as you've just said, we kind of need to maybe uh, open our perspective a little bit and say, yeah, but change doesn't happen instantly. Right. We've got a, a very big industry with a lot of players expecting us to turn away from the contracting strategies we've used for hundreds of years or at least decades, um, you know, is, is an ambitious task. So even if we change in 30 yeah. years, that's huge progress. That, that would be great if 30 years from now, it's very different. That's a very fast change by our, our standards. So makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think that comes back to kind of the, the heart of um, how, how do you, what is considered progress on a construction site? Because I think even that needs to be changed, right? There's, there's moments where I think everybody in our industry is particularly used to this idea that foundation and underground utilities take a long time. And it feels like you don't do anything because you, you'd open the earth, you put a pipe in it, and then you cover it up and it looks the same. Right. But I think all of us within the industry know that that's progress and that's being made. And there's moments where we say, OK, don't do this anymore. Use this technology. 
and it feels slower at first, right? Because you've got to go out and build that foundation before you can then you go vertical with that idea. Um, and I think there's a lot of hesitation for any job site to feel like they're in that slow phase. So there's a lot of emotion and gut reaction with these technologies and with these concepts as well. I, this is maybe a slightly out of scope, but I, but I think that's the point of the podcast is we get to talk about related but not the same content as what you're presenting. So have you found strategies for gaining buy-in? I mean, we're talking about emotion and the human side of these um, use of these technologies. Our industry's been working in a similar way for a number of years here. Um, have you found strategies of getting people to change or, or ways that you have gained buy-in that have been successful or, or unsuccessful, unsuccessful, but informative? Yeah, and I, I think it really starts with a lot of um, identifying champions for folks in roles who, who grasp the bigger picture of what's, what's being attempted. Right. It's it's really easy to look at this and say, well, this formwork thing doesn't matter. Maybe I'll save a little bit in the end, but it doesn't. It's going to the amount of effort I have to put into this isn't worth it. Right. But you look at it and the way that you get to the end is substantially different. And if you can find somebody in the industry, if you can find somebody on a project team that believes in that future and wants to do something different, um, their ability to, to support that and bring it to life on their particular job site is quite fantastic. And then I, I do think we have the advantage that typically our industry is very competitive. And even though you look at this and you say, okay, well, um, all of our job sites are unique. We build something once and we only build it once. And then we move on to something that we're only going to build once. But I mean, every, every subcontractor has their specialty, right? And so uh, uh, a rebar uh, crew is going to look at production rates between projects in, you know, in Scottsdale and Phoenix, right? And they're going to have a competition. And so there is kind of this cool moment where if you can align the competition right, you've got this opportunity to say, be as competitive as you possibly can, knowing that that person across town is going to bring about this new innovation. And if it works well, like you guys need to step up your game, right? Or, or right. And so uh, we're trying to, to figure out how to, to bring that to a company-wide effort at Sunt, right? Of this, this idea of innovation at Sunt, what is it? What does it look like? And some of that stuff ties directly back to technology and some of it ties back to things like contractual changes. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like as, as an observer of the industry, a lot of the companies have evolved pretty rapidly, but sometimes the lawyers are maybe slower to evolve because it's kind of like their, my understanding, or my, it seems as though their main function has been shed risk or manage risk or protect us from risk. And the idea of, of change and share information differently or with different people or in different formats um, could probably be understandably scary. And so it seems like they have been maybe on the, the back end of the adopters or the, the um, uh, folks shifting, do you see a way of incentivizing or getting the lawyers to change their comfort level with these kind of processes? Yeah, I think there's actually some, some really great industry documents that have come out in the last five or six years. Um, I'm thinking of the consensus docs. They have a, a series of documents that outline a fair contractual approach to using building information modeling and defining what it is and who's doing what. Um, and I, I, what's tough is I think some of it is legal hesitation just because they've had it ingrained in them for so long to avoid risk and to do all these things, right? And I think there's even moments where the business itself doesn't know how to evolve and doesn't know what to ask their legal support. And um, I, I guess I'm thinking of in, in the transportation world, you have 
constructors that are saying, hey, design team, give me your model. I'm going to go build off of it. Well, there's no definition contractually. What is the model? What are acceptable uses of it? Um, design teams are going to go out and build something for like a, a visualization model for a client. So it looks beautiful. But if you were to go in and take grades at the intersection, it doesn't slope water properly, right? It doesn't slope the grade properly. It just looks nice. And without the business and the business being the constructor and the business being the design and engineering teams, without those businesses knowing clearly what they want, they don't know how to go back to somebody who's going to be risk averse and ask those individuals to do those things, right? Um, and to be able to document them and create craft language that appropriately sets up those transactions and prevents undue risk on either party. And so it's there's this kind of catch-22 of businesses need to go out and learn about these things and do them and learn from them at the same moment that they're working with their legal teams to then be able to take that and craft language. Um, you do have some, I mentioned the consensus docs. You also have the AIA who's done some of these, these forward-thinking documents to be able to set up these kinds of transactions and relationships. Uh, you actually have also public entities, um, Oregon Department of Transportation and the Utah Department of Transportation in particular, have created language that says, designer, you shall provide this to us. The contractor shall receive this and they shall use it for this. Our inspector is going to go out there with the same model and check it, right? And so you've got this really cool kind of um, what I call like a single version of the truth. You go directly from design intent to the machine that's on the grader, that's, you know, the this, this blade that's grading the final slope of the roadway out there. It's the same model as the design intent. And then the inspector comes out and looks at it. All of a sudden, you've got all parties agreeing to the same version of what the truth should be. And I think you're seeing some great benefits from that. Um, but again, like you're saying, it's it's taken a lot of pushing both from business and client and, and owner side to say, hey, we need language to do these things because otherwise we will end up in a spot where there's a ton of risk that's not checked and no way to rein that in. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the companies that I've talked to that don't get to the single information backbone, because I know this is a focus of the presentation that you have, kind of have, um, an, I don't want to say a number of information backbones, it's still part of the same thing, but it's sort of a, a little bit of recreation of that process, because the architect's model, as you said, doesn't have the slope that I need for uh, water runoff or what have you. So I make a next model that has that, but it may not have the material rendering quality that the architect needs for their analysis, or may not have the... Um, a reflection the information that the lighting designer needs for lighting analysis. So it just seems like the the promise of BIM hasn't hasn't failed, but hasn't exactly materialized in how some of the early theorists of BIM expected. Oh, we're going to have this central knowledge repository. It is sort of that, but it seems like it's sort of a collection of a couple uh, repositories. What you're describing there at the end sounds closer to a single source of truth, essentially. So that. Um, that would be an exciting outcome if we can get to that point, because I think um, a lot of benefits uh, in, the, in the form of less recreation of the same content for slightly different purposes could be realized. Yeah, and I, I think there are quite a bit of motions to, to bring that about, right? There's um, a file format called the Industry Foundation class, and it's a, it's a global effort to define what are the things that should be in these models, right? And so you're talking about you know, uh, reflectance values, um, what's the surface supposed to be visualized like? Is it a flat paint? Is it an orange peel on this wall? Um, those kinds of things that maybe contractors don't care about. Like if I gave 
that kind of a model to our framing subcontractor, they would care less about it, right? But what they care about is the layout and the design of the drywall and how far up does that go on the stud, you know, those kinds of questions. Are there studs supposed to go all the way up to the deck? And so being able to have a single repository where you can pull out the information pertinent pertinent to you is extremely important. Uh, but all of those things still have to be defined in there at some level, right? Like it needs to be defined that, yeah, hey, I don't have the wall color in here or I do and it is this, right? Um, but you're absolutely right. Everybody has kind of found their specialty software and is, has dug in with that. And I think the first ground that was covered was kind of this spatial ground of geometry can digitally be represented correctly from a dimensional perspective. And so you've seen, you know, some of the first BIM projects were just focused on spatial coordination. And now you're starting to see things like, um, you know, rapid energy analysis to be able to go in and look at different building massing studies and see what the solar impacts of that are and what the design impact is, or analyze 10 different bridge styles over the same bridge span and figure out which one's most efficient. Um, Because you're starting to get to this point where you can define what's in that model, what it's useful for and what it's not. Makes sense. So as we start to wrap up here, I'm, I'm looking back at our notes to kind of make sure we're highlighting some of the takeaways for our students. And I think we've talked about most of this, right? We've talked about um, how BIM can be effective for communication of information. We've talked about uh, BIM for simulating processes. One of the ideas that we talked about was, um, yes, the product may differ project to project, but a whole lot of the process that goes on is is, um, ripe with opportunity for sort of repetition and perfection there. We talked to information backbone, some of the value of um, BIM for uh, communication and um, uh, supporting maybe things better than traditional 2D environments. Um, I've got one other sort of semi-related question, but before I transition, I just want to check from you, Eric, anything else you want to present to our students as a primer before they show up to class next week that you think they should know about your content? Yeah, I, I would say, I would say be prepared to think about construction a little bit differently than you have before, right? I, I think there's a lot of noise in the marketplace right now about Amazon and You know, I mean, Amazon has showed up and taken this idea of being able to sell goods online and they've developed their own marketplace. They've developed um, the most efficient shipping and distribution systems in the world. And there's a lot of fundamental changes. I imagine everybody's seen little robots that drive random things around warehouses and then people get go get box, you know, this thing from box 56. And if you look at it from a rational perspective, it makes no sense but they've done so many studies on these things that they figured out that that is actually the most efficient way to do business. And I, I would argue that right now construction's kind of at that moment where I think rationally you look at what happened 20 years ago and you're like, yeah, that's the most efficient way to do it. But I think that with, with technology and with more insight, we have the ability to drastically take what looks rational and kind of rethink that and come up with a more efficient process. Right. And, and as we dive into these subjects, you'll see moments where we, communicate in ways that have never been used within the construction industry before. And it's not just about somebody receiving the message, but it's about empowering them to make the right decision with that message, right? And you'll see moments where we change how we order material or what material shows up on job site or what the expectation of a normal carpenter is, right? Um, And all of those things need to be thought about through that lens of we're changing the marketplace, we're changing the deliverables, and we're changing the process. And it's going to look different. So just just be ready to think through those ideas a little bit different than than you would expect to find traditionally. Great. I've got one more question, and we may be running slightly long for the students, but I think they'll be interested. That's 
um, more professional advice. I mean, you, you've advanced pretty quickly in your career to a point where you, you've got a lot of influence and a lot of ability to say, I believe we as a company should be doing X or Y. And, and your um, you know, statements of we should do this or that carry a lot of weight. If you were kind of talking to students now who are about to enter the, this industry, who are about to see some of the changes that you're, you're foreshadowing here, what kind of behaviors would you suggest from them? And think maybe in terms of your own career too, what, looking back, like what were the strategies you employed early on when you were first starting where you say, oh, I'm really glad I did that. That was a smart career move. Like what advice <laughs> would you give them starting out now? Uh, I, I mean, I, I think I honestly got got pretty lucky entering the industry the way I did. Some of my first tasks were working with project managers and area managers at a large organization and figuring it just we were coming up with how to solve construction problems. So it's not like I showed up as a project engineer and they said, this is what your task is. It was literally looking at a challenge and thinking about how to solve it. And one thing that we're really harping on internally at Suns is don't, don't do something the same way twice. Literally every time you do something, try it a little bit different. Because if you can figure out how to shave two minutes off of your week every single week, you are going to love the results, right? And I think people have this vision of, oh, we're going to buy this software or implement this technology and it's going to cut 20 hours out of my week. Well, I, I have yet to ever see that actually happen, right? And so just having that innate desire to try something different and be willing, hey, maybe I'm going to try this and it's going to add five minutes to the way I process an RFI or the way I run my meeting. But you know what? Maybe that five minutes saves 10 and you don't know until you try it. And being willing to try things a little bit differently is massive for our industry when there are so many new tools that have yet to be explored. And so I, I think the, the groundwork for, for what I have been able to do at Sunt was, was started with this idea of construction projects aren't defined. Right. Like you're given a problem statement and it's up to that organization to develop the best possible solution. And you do that by thinking through these things and having different looking at tools in a different way than competitors. And I feel like I, I learned that early on and still do that every single day. I haven't done a 3D visualization the same way twice. Literally every time I try something new, whether it's, you know, pulling in models from a third party, having another subcontractor provide something or whether it's using a, a scripting language of some sort to automate some piece of it, or you know, uh, just looking at all, all of these different options and finding that best mix of all the possibilities. And every day, that's going to be different. New technologies are coming out all the time. So there's never a moment where I'm going to be done trying new things, right? And that attitude is, is so important to not just solving challenges today, but setting yourself up to be successful in the future. I think I'm going to try to adopt that advice myself as well. I found this this COVID environment and the teaching situation and where we're at, I'm I'm more and more uh, encouraged to adopt, to be willing at least to change and to try something new. And I, I think that's a, a really nice way to look at it. Yeah. So with that, um, why don't we close for the students? We always like to end with what I'm calling kind of a what's next, which is what should they be doing after their podcast? They're making a cup of coffee. They're going for a walk. They're petting the dog. They've just listened to all this information. So I will suggest, but of course, give you the option if you want to add on to this, Eric. Given what we've talked about, we've talked a lot about new strategies and new trends going on in our industry. We've also talked about willingness to sort of change and, and modify how we um, do our work. You all as the listeners, you all have probably just com completed an internship over the summer. Right? You probably got to work with some company, maybe in person, maybe remote, maybe in Phoenix, maybe elsewhere. But you got an in-depth experience with one company and maybe a project. 
I'd like you to think about in that project, what's one element of what you experienced over the summer that you'd say, I think we can do that better or faster or safer or in some way improve, even if it's little. And I'd like you to think about what's that one thing you observed when you look at it and say, I don't know why we did that. We could have been faster. And think, how might you modify that? It doesn't even have to be technology related. Some of this can be process-based. I don't, I don't care that you're using a tool or not. Um, but I'd like you to think about that. And I think that might be a good way to come to Eric's presentation next week, because I think that'll start gearing you in the mindset of, of, again, hitting the same mantra that we've been talking about. Technology is just a tool to serve us. How would, you, how would your technological innovation, your process innovation, whatever, have improved your company? And I would even think to the level of kind of the last question we discussed with Eric, in your role as intern, right, you may not have authority to say, we will invest in this product. How could you then present a case to someone like Eric or to someone who can say that and say, here's why we should, here's why it's in our interest to do. How might you make a compelling case to that individual to improve in that process? Uh, I think that'd be a good thing to think about on the end of, uh, of your walk or your making uh, your cup of coffee. Any other thoughts for uh, food for thought before we sign off here, Eric? Excited to, to dive into the, the lesson and be able to share some of the experiences I've had over my career and uh, hopefully get some other thought leaders into the marketplace. Sounds great. Well, thanks for being here, Eric. And hopefully, as always, that this gives you some context. 